0: I was at a course in Auckland uh, this week, and one of the contributors uh, said this, Karl Barth, who was a German theologian, said there's three ways that uh, God reveals himself in terms of the word. One is the written word. One is the incarnate word that Jesus came uh, and dwelt among us, started John. And the other one is the proclaimed word. That is, the word of God is proclaimed, uh, God reveals himself, and uh, it's got, you know, there's been a little bit of pushback against the proclaimed word of God, you know, preaching, but actually, this is the way I came to faith, that as an 18-year-old, growing up in the church, but as an 18-year-old, as someone would preach on a Monday night, and I was going it, and all of a sudden, I thought, that's true, it's true, it's true, and that was the way that God was revealing himself to me. And it's what, you know, we, God reveals himself in, in, in many ways, but uh, we pray that he would reveal himself to you as the word of God is preached this morning. Amen? Good one. So we've been going through the uh, the last days as told by Jesus. Matthew 24 and 25. It actually starts the end of 23, Matthew 23. And Jesus is in Jerusalem in the temple for the very last time. And so he, he, he's full of, of sorrow about that. And he says this, he says, You know, I've longed to gather you like a, a bird gathers a mother hen gathers its chicks, but you were not willing. Isn't that sad? That what Jesus wanted to do there in the temple and in Jerusalem was available, but they weren't willing. And then so that's right at the end of Matthew 24, uh, 23. And then it goes on as Jesus was leaving the temple for the very last time. And as he's leaving, the disciples say, I look at these amazing stones. And the temple was in the, um, in the process of reconstruction, which took decades and decades. And um, huge stones. And Jesus says, not one of these stones will remain on top of each other. They're all going to get tipped over, <clears throat> uh, which came to pass in AD seventy. Started, there was another rebellion of the Jews against the Romans, AD 66, and then it, it uh, escalated. The Jews ended up holed up in the temple, it was besieged and finally uh, attacked, and it was horrific what happened in AD 70. And so, Jesus talks about that the, the last times, and it was the last time, it was a combination the last time of the temple, and but also the very last, last. Times of how it's all going to finish. And he kind of combines those things. And so it's a little bit tricky that they're intertwined. Um, and so as Jesus walks out of the temple, he doesn't go very far. He goes down the, the Kidron Valley and up to the... It's called the Mount of Olives. It's actually, you know, it's around about the same height as the Jerusalem temple. And it's only a few kilometers away, but he continues teaching about the last days. And they can see it. It's not too far away. It's only a few kilometers as Jesus teaches about the last days. And um, they could see that huge temple was roughly 12 or 13 rugby fields. That's how big it was. Ginormous. Um, And chapter 24, except for the last two paragraphs, is mostly about the what. What will happen in the last days. And from, from then on, it's about the so what. What do we do about it? What do we do about what's going to happen? What do we do about it? And uh, Jesus uses a lot of pictures from, um, from the book of Daniel, as does Revelation. Uh, It's going to be wars, earthquakes, strange events in the sky, sun, moon, stars. Great distress for the believers, for the followers. And then the end will come. And the final end will, will be victorious for the followers of God, for the followers of Jesus. And 25, Matthew 25, is, is stories and parables all about that, that, the so what, the what do we do about this, the, the being ready, the preparedness, the waiting, that, that corridor space, that liminal space, that transition space of not quite there and not quite there, but there in the gap, living in the gap, being prepared. Parable of the talents is not just about being prepared, but it's also about profits. The master gave out some of his great wealth, went away, and when he came back, he expected profits, not building a bunker, but doing stuff with what he had given us. Not just being prepared, but profits. And last week, Warren spoke of the sheep and the goats, and it was fantastic, actually. I just listened to it uh, yesterday. If you haven't listened to it, go onto the website and listen to Warren's uh, message. And uh, sheep and goats, we found out in Africa, look really similar. Really hard to tell. We struggled so much. We asked one of our language helpers, "Tell us, um, how can you tell the difference between a sheep and a goat?" And he gave us. I remember saying, He gave us uh, five ways that sheep and goats are different. And so uh, they might look the same in the times of Jesus, but they're not the same. And it's to do with the actions. To do with the actions. But it's not, we're not saved by our actions, but our actions show that we are saved. We're saved by grace, by the unmerited generosity of God. But out of that grace, our response, and Carl Barth again, is gratitude. So grace calls out gratitude. And if we can't show gratitude to Jesus, have we actually experienced the grace of Jesus? Because it's so natural, so natural. So, Matthew 24 and 25 have finished. Been wonderful. Thank you for being engaged in that. And I just want to finish the whole series with what does the rest, particularly the New Testament, say about the last times? And what the, um, the theologians call this is systematic theology, where you look at the whole Bible what the Bible says about a particular topic. What you don't want to do is, is grab hold of one verse and that's what it means because, you know, we, we've got a whole Bible, not a bumper sticker, right? So um, we're going to look at some other scriptures, particularly the New Testament of what the rest of the New Testament says about the end times. And uh, we are Christotelic and that means that It's all about Jesus, that the focus, the end point is Jesus. As Jesus was on the the road right at the end of Luke, and he meets those strangers, and it says this, that he spoke from the the prophets and from the old writings, how it spoke about himself. It's all about Jesus. It focuses in on Jesus. It's really relevant at funerals, this stuff, right? Even if they had never had any interest in God. Uh, but relatives and friends, they really want to know, they really, really, really hope that um, something good happens the other side of the veil. Uh, we want to give them comfort. And they're grieving. And that's where the awkwardness comes in. Right? And it's not always the best place at a funeral to talk about uh, weeping, gnashing of teeth, worms, and fire that never goes out. Uh, but at some stage, people do need to know. And it's better to say it now than at the funeral. I was coming home yesterday on the plane. and I sat next to a really lovely lady. Um, and uh, we're talking, and she's a local here, and I ended up saying, and what do you believe about Jesus? And she said, well, that's a big question for a short, plain ride, which is true, but uh, but um, better, better now than at a funeral. It's a bit late then. Uh, ben is going to lead a short-term course. Uh, show your hand, Ben. Ben. Um, and it's based on a book called 10 Dumb Things That Smart Christians Believe. And one of them is that wicked Uncle Ernie, who hated Jesus, is in a better place. No, he's not. But funeral, a fun, Uncle Ernie's funeral is not the best place to say that. Let's say it now. Don't leave your last day's talk, your eschatology for funerals. Let's start talking about it now. Plane rides, bus rides, family times, you know? Now, while they've got a chance. Um, This is what we're going to concentrate on now. Apostle Paul says in Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Revelation, penned by John, particularly Revelation 20, 21, 22. What happens? Well, what happens is Satan gets dealt to. Amen. Death gets dealt to. Sickness and sorrow gets dealt to. And both the living and the dead will get to be with Jesus. And those that love him, they'll get to be with Jesus. And the thing in the early church is there was some confusion of that. That those that had already died, they were going to miss out was only those that were still alive at the return of Jesus were going to go and be with him. So Paul needed to really clarify what was going to happen, both for those that had already passed away and those that are still remaining when Jesus comes back. And so the big question, those that have passed away now and loved Jesus and knew him, uh, what are they experiencing? What's, what's their reality? Are they in heaven now? Or are they in the ground now? Well what, what part of them? their spirit or, or soul or body parts? The fear was some of those that had already passed away that they, they might miss out. And Paul emphatically says, "No, no, no. Those that love Jesus are not going to miss out. They're going to uh, going get to be with Jesus, not taken immediately, but there is. An interim state. There's an interim state. And it's a taste of final heaven, but it's not the final state. An interim state. And a lot of New Testament understanding draws on the Old Testament, particularly uh, the book of Daniel. And so we're going to do some of that. Daniel 12, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Daniel 12, 2 and 3 says this, verse 2, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. But if it is preached that Jesus has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching our preaching is worthless, and so is your faith. In that case, we are also exposed as false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but, but he did not raise him as uh, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If our hope in Christ is for this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all men. And so the Christian faith is a way more than a do-good philosophy. It includes that. But it doesn't end there. It's not just for this life. If it's just for this life, we're to be pitied more than anyone. Revelation 21, 1-4. to Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be with their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So, for those that die before the return of Jesus, what is the interim state? Their interim state? And to be totally honest, in the Bible, that's a little unclear. <laughs> there's, uh, there's some things in the Bible that are really clear, really clear. But this one's a little bit vague. And so we have hints, but actually we don't totally know. And so we're just going to talk about some stuff that's not totally clear, um, but we're going to give it our best shot. (laughs) So what's it like, this interim state? What's it like? Is it purgatory? Is it purgatory? I remember... um, Uh, We would hit animals occasionally in Africa. They'd walk across the road and all of a sudden, boom, you'd hit one. And um, uh, sheep and goats and I I had a couple of pigs. And I remember asking my friend, oh, I wonder where that? And I killed it. I wonder where that pig's gone. He said, if it was a Catholic pig, it probably was. The Muslims, of course, didn't have pigs. If it's a a Catholic pig, it's probably gone to pigatory. (laughs) But... um, The the theory of purgatory is this, there's actually two teams, there's an A team and a B team. The A team go directly uh, to God, and there's only a few of them, the saints. But the B team, um, they have this, this interim state of having to have their past earthly sins cleansed before going to heaven, and it got really warped, this theory of purgatory, and that uh, good deeds could be done, those still alive, for those in purgatory, to limit the amount of time in purgatory, and so in the Middle Ages, in the 16th century, uh, one of the things that was happening was people were going around selling a thing called indulgences, because the church was fundraising for a building project. They said if you spent money and gave money for, uh, for this building project, you would shorten the length of your loved ones in purgatory. And then October 1517, an obscure German monk by the name of Martin Luther, he banged up a notice on the door of the church and said, let's talk about that. Because that doesn't seem to be what I'm finding out from the Bible, from the Word of God. And this was the start of the Reformation. And, uh, and those that ended up separating, they were, became the Protestants. So that's how we got the Protestant movement. Long story short, Scripture does not suggest that the living can affect the eternal destiny of those already dead. The Bible does not suggest that does not say that. It seems that when you're dead you're dead, and your decisions have been made. Uh, 20, in 2010, I was back we were back in New Zealand and I was doing little bits of teaching here and there. One of my jobs a day a week was a lovely. Lovely school, lovely Catholic school, five year olds, and we'd start the day in prayer. And so they could pray for, and they'd like it, take turns lighting a candle, and they could pray what they wanted. Now, they really liked to pray for uh, two things dead grandparents and dead pets. (laughs) And they would pray these lovely, lovely prayers for grandparents and their passed away dog or cat or guinea pig or rabbit or octopus or whatever it was, um, really, in reality, they would have been better to learn their two times table in that time because if you're gone, you're gone. Hey, the Bible does not teach purgatory in their interim states. But what is it? What is that interim state? Maybe it's something called soul sleep. Soul sleep. And soul sleep is the idea that when you die, uh you boom, you're straight away, it's like asleep, and then at the resurrection, at the coming of Jesus, all of a sudden you're awake and it's like doesn't matter if you, if that gap has been two years or 20 years or 200 years or 2,000 years, it's like you've just gone to sleep, just boom, like that, and all of a sudden you're awake. Now, there's a problem as we look at Scripture with that as well, because in Scripture, sleep is most often a euphemism for, uh, for death. It's not literal sleep. When it says um, those that have gone to sleep, it means those, really, those that have died, uh, and also, but also, Scripture says two Corinthians five eight and and uh, one twenty three, I think it's Philippians one twenty three said uh, that it's a joyous uh, state. So if you're in deep sleep, that's not joy. Uh, so yet we are courageous. We would rather leave the body and go home to the Lord. In Philippians one twenty twenty three, there's conscious. Uh, joy in their new state i'm torn i'm torn between the two i desire to depart and be with christ which is better by far and there will be a combining of those that have already passed and those that that are still alive at the return of jesus so what what sort of resurrection bodies will we have you know we'll well, I have my saggy tummy and receding hairline and toenails with fungus. All right, and now's the point in the service where you name your own, um, your own body insecurities. Just turn to your neighbour and. <laughs> you <know. laughs> What will it be like? What will, our, what will our resurrection bodies be like? How buff or bad lo- like will our bodies be? You know, will there be, what sort of continuity and discontinuity with our present bodies will it be? Uh, and it's got both of those. There's going to be some stuff that's... that that remains that, you know, there's something about us, who we are as people, that will go through into the eternal life, but there will be some things that will be changed. We don't know the exact makeup of that, but some sort of continuity and some discontinuity. Uh, Matthew 22, Jesus said, at the resurrection, people won't marry, you'll be given a marriage. So there's some... Some combination, some discontinuity. (laughs) Revelation. Revelation says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The Jews were fearful of the sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Uh, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain The old order of things has passed away. What's heaven going to be like? It's going to be awesome, going to be wonderful, going to be fantastic. I can't wait. And so the dead in Christ are in this intermediate state an intermediate state, like like intermediate school. It's not really primary school, but it's not secondary school. But there's some, some things that are similar to that. And some things are similar to that. It's like the state of being engaged. You're not married, but you're not single. You're kinda of that in-between thing. Some aspects of singleness and but that expectation of being of being together. Heaven mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Full of joy. That's why why it's often spoken of, um, you know, the last days or the coming of Jesus or the the fullness of the kingdom in in pictures of wedding. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. Jesus coming back in revelation for his bride. Bride dressed, ready to meet the groom. Sometimes you hear people say, you know... um, I love God, I'm just not really you know, interested in the bride of the church, I just love God, well, whatever. But um, that's different from what the Bible says. Jesus is coming back for his bride. The groom comes for the bride, not isolated individuals. God is among his people. There will be no pain and the smashing that they, they received in Romans from the Roman governors, and the people, and the, and the exclusion, and the hatred, and the lies they were receiving then, in the seven churches, um, there, there was a picture of churches, the smashing, the hatred, it's not going to last forever, because Jesus comes back, gathers his bride to be with him, those that are living, those that are already in the ground, and there'll be a combination and we'll be together praising Him. It's going to be awesome. Morning's gone, crying's gone, pain's gone, injustice is gone, death has gone. And God is among his people. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. And preparing for this, I felt you know, to pray today uh, for us for courage. And I'm going to pray that uh, now. And then up here, if that's particularly you, uh, then come up and, um, and people will pray for that. And I'll get the runga um, pātās to pray for me. Uh, he's a 55-year-old man. Uh, <laughs>